Uh, well, today we're going to uh, continue uh, our little study of repentance. And last night, uh, I wonder if we all went away just groveling, right? Sort of like crawling out, uh, you know, recognizing that uh, God sees everything we say, everything we do, and that we are indeed accountable, and that Yes, the future tells us that we, you know there will be a day of of accounting, but in Messiah, every day is a day of accounting, uh, and uh, and so how important it is for us to to get that. One of the things that we acknowledged uh, really last night was that it's kind of hard for us to get ex- to get all concerned about sin and. And standing before God when we have like the salvation card in our back pocket, you, you know, and, and we know that we're saved and we know that we have security in the Lord, which we do, and that our citizenship is in heaven and that via the Ruach, the Spirit of God, our position in Messiah at the right hand of the Father is indeed right and secure and that relationship is based on the righteousness of God. And we talked about what righteousness of God is last night. And uh, But having said that, we still live here and we have a responsibility. Not, it's not just like a good thing for us. We have a responsibility to recognize that God is king and to be accountable to him for every single thing in our lives. And that it is not easy uh, and that sometimes it can even be painful, but it yields the peaceful fruit righteousness. And we talked about that. Now, today, uh, we're going to uh, continue that a, l- a little bit, certainly. Uh, and we're also uh, going to uh, uh, take a look at uh, the uh, uh, prayer once again, the Untanetokef that is uh, recited on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We'll be looking at the second part of it, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in just a minute. I, but uh, today I thought we would take a look uh, at how, how can we, when we approach God, you know, for repentance purposes and, and uh, really come to him, I, do we have any role models that we might be able to look at in the scriptures and see how they came to him. Well, you know, there are two psalms, sort of cutting to the chase. You know, there are two psalms that, that, I, that really come to mind for me I, in thinking about when I am convicted, I, when I am in pain, whether it be because of sin or just life is so bad that I really can't see light at the end of the tunnel and I'm crawling to God, two psalms, I think, really speak to us and help us to understand how we can pray. And frankly, if we're in that place today uh, of just not seeing light at the end of the tunnel uh, or that we have sins that we know that plague us uh, and they've just become a way of life and, and, uh, and, and it just constantly bothers us, grieves us, brings us to the place of, of guilt and sorrow and frustrates us, that we have two psalms that we can, so to speak, claim as our own and just pray them when we don't know how else to pray. One is Psalm 42, and the other one is Psalm 51. Let's turn to Psalm 42 first. Okay? Psalm 42. You know, in, uh, in this psalm, well, I'm just going to read a portion of it. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. 
Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All the breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. And we can stop there. So we can see that uh, he is uh, in distress. He's in turmoil. He's sad and he's weeping. He knows the Lord, you know. Uh, This is not a case of someone who is like lost and doesn't know who God is, where God is, or anything. This is a person who is experiencing uh, this real conundrum of knowing that he knows God but as we might say, truly not feeling it, truly being in a place of sorrow. Okay? So, you know, one of the things that he does here is he acknowledges it. He acknowledges it. He doesn't try to smooth it over. He says in verse 2, uh, in verse uh, 3, my tears have been my food day and night. He is, he, he is weeping all the time. Now, what's really interesting is, is that he's not exactly sure why. Yes, life is difficult, I, uh, quite clearly. You know, he says, people say, where is your God? They're saying, where is your God? Because evidently, because he's weeping all the time. You know, the party line is, okay, well, you should have a continual smile pasted on your face. I praise the Lord should pepper all of your uh, sentences. We should be high-fiving. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. All right. Amen. Ho, ha, whoa. You know, and that's kind of like the expectation that we have uh, uh, for each other. And uh, uh, oftentimes, you know, the the problem for us is is that we just don't want to be honest. But isn't it amazing? God already knows the pain in our heart. But when we look in the mirror, we do not want to acknowledge it because sometimes it's just too painful and who wants to be in pain? And when we don't want to be in pain, what do we do? We do something to take away the pain. Sometimes we self-medicate to take away the pain. Sometimes we just ignore it. And we live with it for so long that it just becomes the way of life. Like it's just normal. This pain, I'm just used to it, you know? I've learned to engage in my own self-pain management, or I find outlets in other places or in other ways. There's myriads of them. I don't have to name them because probably if if we all had that little bubble of what we're all thinking, we're probably, we have a hundred going in a room right now, right? Uh, And and so this psalm is, is a real strategic psalm. You know, when we come to Rosh Hashanah, because the goal of sounding that shofar is not only to remember who God is and that he keeps his covenant, but for us to wake up and be real, because it's as we will see. It is the only way for us to come to God in order to be healed. Okay, so he says in verse 5, he's talking to himself, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why am I in despair? Why have you become disturbed within me? He's talking to himself. This, he's talking to himself. Okay. Now, this is important because, you know, we all talk to ourselves. Whether we talk to ourselves or not, we talk to ourselves. Okay. Uh, we have a little voice inside. And as far back as you can remember in your life, it's that same voice. Right? I, like, even when you were, like, maybe, like, the first day of school in kindergarten many, many, many years ago, thinking, okay, oh, this will be, I don't know, I'm kind of scared, I'm, you know. And now today, however many years later, it's that very same voice uh, that we hear, right? The thing about that voice is it does ask us questions. Sometimes, hopefully more times than not, it, we tell ourselves the truth, but sometimes we don't tell ourselves the truth. Sometimes based on a bazillion different things, we can tell ourselves all kinds of things. You know, like the reason that I, uh, that I'm just no good. That's a good one, right? I just will never measure up. If they really knew what I was like, I'll never get over this sin. I have this nagging temptation that I fall to that's really embarrassing. 
and absolutely nobody knows about it. They all think I'm Mr. or Mrs. Uh, stellar Faith, uh, uh, right? But we walk around with pain and anguish all the time, uh, and we can live very defeated lives. One of the interesting things here in Psalm 42 is that he does tell himself the truth. He fights, he's fighting inside of himself. Because right after he says, why have you become disturbed within me? The very next breath is, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He knows what is right, he knows what is true, but he's, he can't quite get there, you know? And so why am I all upset? Hope in God. Howard, hope in God. But it's, you know, hope in God, hope in God. And so we can see, you know, uh, that's what he's, uh, that's what he's doing. Uh, He even brings back to mind things that he remembers from better times. Okay. Uh, And so uh, in verse four, he says, these things I remember and pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. He remembers the good old days. He remembers days of really you know, walking with God and, and uh, uh, rejoicing. So inside of him, this inner turmoil, he is weeping, he is crying, he doesn't know exactly why, but things are not right within him. So he knows in, in whom he believes, you know, like Job. He says, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. And then he remembers times in the past of uh, of living, uh, you know, in a way that brings rejoicing. I think that for many of us, when we first embraced Yeshua, it was, a, it was wow, you, you know, new life and Messiah, uh, learning new things, uh, uh, new kinds of relationships, uh, uh, a fellowship with God and with others that I, that I never really had before. And then, you know, time goes on and we've been around the block a few times and, I, and we, we kind of uh, enter into sort of a mediocre kind of thing where I, I pray and, oh, I've heard all this before. And I, and we just kind of live our lives and we just assume that I've, this is how it's going to be. I have roots of bitterness, I have a bad temper, or I'm judgmental, uh, or I have a bad attitude, or uh, I can't really believe that God has forgiven all of my sins, and, and we walk around with a cloud, and we just assume this is how it's going to be until the end, right? I, but you see, he fights this, hope in God, and I remember better times, and better times uh, will come. Well, there's another takeaway here. He even feels, by the way, if you read verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do, we got, why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You know? And, uh, and so I, I would say he's speaking very viscerally. He's speaking from his kishkas, right? He's not making a theological statement that God has left me, but it really feels that way. It, I really feel defeated. So what's interesting is not just what he prays, but what he doesn't pray. He doesn't say, God, reveal to me why I am weeping so that I can stop weeping. He doesn't say, God, take away the pain. He doesn't even say, Lord, take away the pain. Give me clarity, uh, uh, Lord. Uh, that's not what he prays. What's in verse 1 is what he prays. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living water. When shall I come and appear before God? What he prays is, Lord, I need more of you. The answer, whatever the answer is, I need more of you. I need to be, I need to move from where I am and be in your presence. I am thirsty. I know that I need you. There is a hole inside of me that I am trying to fill with all kinds of things. But Lord, it's you who I need. I am thirsty for you. And of course, you know, whenever I talk about this, (laughs) I always, always 
turn to Jeremiah uh, in um, uh, the uh, second chapter in verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do whatever it takes to feel better, whatever that may be. And you can all, we can all fill in the blanks. But you see, he understands, I need more of you. And so, uh, may I suggest that when we uh, uh, are in turmoil, the, the prayer, the base prayer is, Lord, I need more of you. And to acknowledge that no matter who we are and how much we may know, that we need more of you, God. And so if we find ourselves in these dire straits, may we pray as he does, okay? Uh, I need more of you. Now, this reminds us also of a little bit of Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, since we're kind of in the neighborhood, in verse 4, verse 4, which is really, uh, I would suggest, the centerpiece of It's not the center verse, but it's the centerpiece of Psalm 27. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Just the the beginning of the one one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You know, it's an amazing verse for a couple of reasons. One is, there's a lot of things that he or we might want to ask from the Lord. But he says, this one thing I have asked, and that is I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I don't think he means a room in the temple, you know, uh, you know so to speak, uh, my, my own little spot there. I think what he means is to be in the presence of God and acknowledge of be in the presence of God all the time. That no matter where uh, he is, God, you know, I am aware of your presence. Not just I know it, you know, like if I like like if um, I was to speak to someone or someone was to speak to me and say, you know, God is with you all the time. Oh, well, of course, of course, I know that. But the question is, is, you know, is that a real truth that is a living truth in my life? That I am just aware, I am aware of God's presence all the time. I suggest that if we could cultivate that kind of awareness, it would cause us, you know, to certainly be drawn to God in our prayer, to cry out to God even more, to really you know, thirst, uh, thirst for him. And so I would say, going back to just for a moment there in Psalm 42, that it's interesting that it ends without an answer. You know, Psalm 42, by the way, and Psalm 43 were probably one it's at one point got cut in half because they basically are say the same thing. But I would just suggest a great a discussion can ensue about Psalm 42 and 43, because it ends in despair. He, he doesn't have an answer yet. The psalm is so like real life. It's not, it's all wrapped up, Lord, and now I'm, uh, now I'm over the top, I'm over the mountain, I'm over the thing, I'm, and now, now I'm just rejoicing. It's like the good old days. No, look at, how, look at how Psalm 42 ends. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. He's still asking himself, why am I in despair? But the the first thing he does is the right thing. God, I need more of you. And so uh, on on, uh, Rosh Hashanah, if we're stuck there, sort of in defeat, Lord, I need more of you. When we hear the sound of the shofar, may that be Sometimes, you know, the first kind of prayer of of repentance and a desire for transformation is just, I need more of you, God, to get through the day, to get through this morning. I need more of you. And as we pray that prayer, 
knowing that God is indeed in my purview. He's here with me. God will answer that prayer. Not necessarily with some big wow, but just more of an understanding and an acknowledgement of the presence of God. It's something that we cultivate. Now, Psalm 51 is also a very important uh, psalm for us. Perhaps both of them were written by David. Psalm 42, we, we don't know the circumstance, but Psalm 51 we do, right? Psalm 51 is the sin of David, and we know uh, the sin of David. We won't take the time to uh, go back and uh, refresh it, but we know uh, that uh, he's, uh, his men are, are at war. He's up on the rooftop. He sees Bathsheba, right? And so uh, he, he calls for Bathsheba, and a child comes. Uh, Bathsheba's husband is, meanwhile, uh, at the front lines, you know, of the uh, battle. And uh, David concocts a plan, uh, brings him back, uh, so that he'll, will, he will have relations with Bathsheba. And so it'll be like, oh, this is, ba it's, it's like now, right? I mean, if, whoa. Uh, that, that, oh, the child will be Bathsheba's, right? And so her husband is so dedicated that he will not have relations with his wife because his men are, are, are in battle. And so now David is banging his head against the wall. What am I going to do? I'm only left with one alternative. I'm going to arrange for him to go, a, you know, uh, like to the Russian front, <laughs> right? To the front of the line so that he'll definitely get killed. This is David. This is King David. He concocts, you know, uh, this uh, sinful plan. He engages in adultery, murder. A lie. It's bad. It's really horrific, right? Uh, and so it's interesting if you read it, when you come to the end of the section there in 2 Samuel chapter 11, at the end it says, and this was displeasing to the Lord. You know, I, I'm sure there were other words that uh, certainly could have been chosen, but this was displeasing to the Lord. And then, of course, he's confronted by Nathan. And Nathan tells him a story, you know, a, a sad story about a, a guy who takes a lamb, uh, you know, I, and, uh, I, and, and David says, that's, that's horrible, you know, I, and, and Nathan says to him, you are the man. He confronts, his, he confronts David's sin. Now, <clears throat> David could have had different uh, responses to this. Generally speaking, today, if we say that to a brother or sister, they'll say something to the effect of, mind your own business, I'm out of here. Quit judging me. Who do you think you are? Right? This is why David is understood to be a man who had a heart after God. Not because he was anywhere near perfect. Not even He wasn't even close to perfect. You know? He wasn't even the, the most moral or ethical king of Israel. But, when he was confronted with his sin, he acknowledged it. He acknowledged it. He said, I, you know, uh, I am guilty. I am guilty. And it says that God forgave him. What we have in Psalm 51 is what was going on inside of him. When Nathan says, you are the man, we have this doorway into the heart of a man who's called a man after God's own heart. And so it really is precious uh, for us. The first thing we notice is David doesn't come with any kind of justification, period. All he says is, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loyal love. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. It wasn't, well, you don't understand. It was, it was like this. You know, I didn't mean it. Or I'm just, I'm sorry. He doesn't say I'm sorry. He says, God, I need your favor. Chen, favor. Uh, it is the Hebrew equivalent of charis, of grace, right? I need your favor, Lord, according to your loyal love. In other words, I know that you are loyal in your love, and so that's why I am asking for this. I'm just relying on you, on you, on you, God. I'm just relying on your, uh, on your compassion, because I have nothing. I have nothing. Okay. Then he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He, doesn't, he can't wash himself. 
There's nothing he can do to make it right. There's nothing he can do to make it right before God. He says, I'm just, I'm laying here before you, God. And so I'm just pleading your mercy. I don't deserve any kind of favor, but I'm asking for it. And only you can cleanse me, God. Only you can cleanse me, right? Uh, so what we see here is that he doesn't run away from God. He doesn't hide from God. He doesn't assume that he's all washed up and all finished. And that's the end of it. But he, he comes to God. This is sort of like what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 about when Paul says, you know, I regretted sending you that earlier letter because I know that it gave you great grief and great pain. So I regretted it, but I really don't regret it because I know that it brought you to a point of repentance, you know, a point of sorrow to the point of repentance, that you came to God and not to death. Going away from God is death. Going to God is repentance and new life and and deliverance. And so he's seeking deliverance from God. That is great trust, you know, in God to have that kind of honesty. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then the rest of the verse, so that you are justified when you speak uh, and blameless uh, when you uh, judge. Basically, what he's saying here is that I am overwhelmed by this, by these sins. I'm overwhelmed by them. I can't, I can't continue. It's that kind, kind of what we were talking about last night, you know, of search me, God, and know me, and and letting God just open our open ourselves up, and it can be painful. David is what he is saying is very painful. When he says against you only, you have I sinned, this is not, he's not writing a theological tome here about, no, I haven't really sinned against Bathsheba. I've only sinned against you. I did something bad against. No, he's just overwhelmed by, his, by what he has done to God, not just to himself, but he is overwhelmed by what he has done to God. God is real. God is the king. David is devoted to him. But now he totally fails God. Against you have I sinned and done this evil. And then at the end when he says, you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. In other words, do whatever you will to me because I am guilty. But I'm praying for your grace. I am praying for your mercy. And then in verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. He's saying, this is who I am. This is who I, I am, this kind of person. I was born this way. You know, it's not like God, I, I'm really good. That if you weigh it out, you know, my good far outweighs this one little thing, this bad day or this bad few days that I've had. No, no. Do whatever you will. This is who I am. To be able to really say that to God and to bring, to dredge up things like the sins of David or whatever, you know, uh, plagues us is a very difficult thing. In fact, if we keep our finger here and we go for a moment to Psalm 32, this, uh, this is very interesting, the uh, Psalm of David. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, you see what you get. In Psalm 51, David is uh, showing that he is absolutely transparent, absolutely transparent in his sin and in his need. And it's like, you know, I'll do whatever it takes. Okay? But notice verses three and four. When I, this is in Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of summer. He's like testifying. When I kept silent about it, it was killing me. It was killing me. It takes a lot of energy to hide sins. It takes a lot of energy to, you know, to not be 
transparent. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you did forgive the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to thee, pray to you in a time when thou mayst be found. You know, he's saying, hey, it worked for me. You know, uh, when I was hiding my sin, it was killing me. But when I acknowledged it, a, a flood of, uh, you know, of forgiveness came to me and I was relieved of this burden. I was relieved of this burden. And so here in Psalm, back now in Psalm uh, uh, 51, he, uh, you know, he is acknowledging, we see this journey of repentance uh, that he has. He says, make me, in verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. He say, he's saying, I want this joy. I want that joy and gladness, Lord. Bring healing to me. Bring healing to me. Then he says, create in me a, a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, I want renewal. I want to start over again with you. I love you. I want to start over. I have failed you. All, all I can do is say, have mercy on me, God, according to your loving kindness. Wash me, Lord. I'm, I, uh, you know, I, my sin is eating me up. And then he says, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Now, when he says, don't cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, this is how he feels. Again, this is a visceral prayer from the, from the intestines, we might say. You know, don't leave me, don't forsake me. Because sometimes it feels that way. It feels that we are all alone in our sins. And he's saying, God, again, he's saying it ten different ways, have mercy on me. And then he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Restore me, God. Restore me. It reminds me of Psalm 42. Uh, he is uh, saying there, I'm thirsty for you. I need more of you. And in a way, that's exactly what David is saying. You know, he's not like Saul, who when confronted with his sin, said, to Samuel, don't tell anyone, right? I, you know, because Saul was very concerned about being king and about his, his uh, reputation and, and so on and so forth. Here, David is king and nowhere does he say anything like that. He's not concerned with his reputation. He's not concerned with his dynasty. He's concerned, this one thing I seek, to dwell in your presence. And in order to dwell in his presence, he needed to go through this road of this. Then I'm just going to move down here a little bit to uh, verse uh, 15. He says, Oh Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare thy praise. Well, we all know that, right? That is the little phrase we say before the Amidah, right? That's where it comes from, okay? I, and, but notice he's saying, Lord, you open my lips. I can't even open my lips. I can't even give you praise because I know the dirt inside of me. I know the real me. I need you, God, to renew my spirit, restore me, cleanse me, receive me, forgive me, and then my lips will open and my mouth can really declare your praise, not go through the motions of making sure we get it right. And then we come to the heart of it all. For thou dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. You know, I sometimes we, uh, it's kind of like I need to get my act together and then I will come before God. I need to get it right. And notice again, he doesn't pray, God, uh, heal my sexual appetite. 
keep my eyes from uh, lust. Uh, uh, God, uh, you know, keep me from the sins uh, that so easily entangle me. He says, God, I'm coming to you with a broken heart. I can't do it. And I just, I need you, Lord. I need you to transform me. I need you to show me grace and mercy. I need you to create in me a clean heart. I need you to restore uh, to restore me, uh, God. I need you to wash me thoroughly. That is what he is concerned about. And that, my friends, is the underlying issue for all of us. For all of us. You know, last night, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, uh, two, two times in a row I'm going to mention this, but uh, last night I, I uh, quoted the lyrics of a song by Leonard Cohen, right? I, uh, that was based on our prayer, Untane Tokef, you know, uh, by, by fire or by water. Uh, and and we, we talked about that song and his struggle with understanding who shall I say is calling, right? Well, you know, he wrote another song called Anthem, Anthem. And there's a little phrase in that song, uh, that uh, little lyric, little four lines. It says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. And that's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets in. You know, sometimes we live, uh, we think, we're living in, a, an iron, uh, in an iron little dome. You know, we think we're living in an iron little dome. And nobody knows what's going on, right? Uh, and so whatever it is becomes normal. However we live becomes normal. Uh, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whatever it is. But sometimes when a crack comes in the iron dome and light shines in, the light of God, we'll say, shines in, that things begin to be seen for what they really are. You know? It kind of reminds me of what Paul writes in, in Ephesians, right? Uh, that when the darkness shines, uh, when the light shines, uh, you know, in, in the darkness, the darkness is exposed. When we come to God with a broken heart, our darkness is exposed. Coming to God with a broken heart is not usually the way we talk about approaching God. Remember what we talked about about Isaiah, uh, about Isaiah uh, last night, uh, about how uh, when he saw the presence of God, it was this dramatic thing. Uh, and rather than saying, "Wow, this is great, this is fantastic," it's "Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips." He could not help but have a broken and contrite heart before God, and that is indeed the key to David's restoration: is to come to him, to come to him broken and to really acknowledge it. And may I suggest, it's beyond what we want to talk about, but the best way to really cultivate that is, uh, you know, when we have to be confronted by another person, because when we're confronted by another person, we're looking at somebody, you know, we can see that our hands can get kind of sweaty in the palms because they're going to be really disappointed in me, and, uh, you know, and I can't even believe I'm going to tell somebody the truth, um, you know. Uh, that's why it says in the book of James, confess your sins one to another. And that another is not just uh, somebody that, uh, okay, somebody who's just safe, that isn't going to do anything, someone that's not going to say anything, and someone who's just going to give me a hug. That is not, you know, that is not the goal of confessing your sins one to another. The goal of confessing your sins one to another is you confess your sins to a godly man or woman, uh, and you know what you're going to get back is real truth. Like you're going to get back God's response you know, uh, and uh, how, how very important uh, is that? Uh, you know, we all, uh, we received this, um, this little um, copy of Untanet Tokef, right? Well, uh, last night we read up until uh, verse, uh, we read through verse uh, 20. Now we want to begin reading in verse 21, okay? So you should all have that. And repentance, prayer, and charity... Help the hardship of the decree pass. For your glory, now we're in verse 22, for your glory is like your name. Let's all say it together. Slow to anger, quick to forgive. For you do not want the dead to die, but for them to turn from their path and live. You wait until the day they die, accepting them immediately if they return. Truly, you are their creator, 
and you know their nature, for they are flesh and blood. Their origin is from dust, and their end is to dust. At their peril, gathering food, they are like shattered pottery, like withered grass, and like a faded blossom, like a passing shadow, and like a vanishing cloud, and like blowing wind, and like sprouting dust, and like a dream that will fly away. But you are king, the living and everlasting God. Your years are boundless. The length of your days is endless. Your glorious chariots are priceless, and the eternity of your name is limitless. Your name suits you, and you suit your name. You named us after you. Act for the sake of your name, and sanctify your name through those who declare the sanctity of your name. For the glory of your name, honored and sanctified, as the utterances of the assembly of the holy seraphim, who sanctify your name with holy, inhabitants above with inhabitants below, thrice call out the trio of holiness with holy. So you notice there's a different tenor in the second half of this uh, poem. The tenor of the first half is, how are we going to die? The tenor of the second half is God loves us and that God desires indeed to, uh, to redeem us. Uh, and, you know, so we can go to God with a lot of things, a lot of prayers. We send out tons of prayer requests and we pray for lots of things. But I just wonder how much we really pray this way. You know, there is a, um, there is a, a, a great little rabbinic story. Uh, do you know that the ancient rabbis uh, taught in parables like Yeshua did? In fact, there's even a book. They also taught in parables. <laughs> Just came to my mind about, you know, uh, rabbinic styles of teaching. Well, I, I want to read a little story, and it's going to remind you a little bit of one of the parables of Yeshua, but not. <laughs> okay? It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different, but it kind of gets to the same place. All right. Okay. There was a king. I kind of have to paraphrase part of it. There was a king who banished his son because he failed to live up to his royal responsibilities. The recalcitrant young man acclimated himself to the rough life of a rural village and before long was, a, was more a villager than a prince. His father, meanwhile, kept watch over his beloved, the wayward son. He accomplished this through agents, who reported back to the palace and unobtrusively shepherded the young man through frequent difficulties. I could just stop there. Isn't that interesting? His son is banished. His son takes a different path, basically. But the father, who is the king, keeps tabs on his son without his son knowing it through these agents that help him get through difficult times. You never stop being a father, even our heavenly, right? Finally, unable to bear the degradation and poverty that his son was suffering, the king gave him a chance to redeem himself. The king sent an official with a message. Your father loves you and is ready to grant you anything you want. Make a wish. The prince did not have to think very long. Tell my father how grateful I am for his concern and tell him that it is cold here and my coat is worn. Please ask him to send me a new warm fur-lined coat. One can imagine the heartbreak of the father who wanted his son back in the palace. The boy could have asked for a chance to visit his family. He could have asked for a reconciliation. He could have asked for the kingdom. But he had forgotten where he belonged. He had traded the palace for a corral and traded his destiny for a coat. And so there's a moral to the story that the rabbi who tells the story says. We come to the days of awe when God longs for us to say, Father, we want to come home to you. And all we think to ask for in our prayers is a nicer house, a warm coat, make me feel good, but I'm going to stay right where I am. Can we even begin to imagine the extent of our foolishness and the anguish that we cause God. And so how important it is that we realize that God has given us this great gift 
of the of uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Very quickly, I'm just going to mention this: that of course the basis of this assurance that we can com- can come home to the Father. And by the way, you see, uh, isn't it interesting that in a rabbinic parable God is referred to as Father? Oh wow! <laughs> it's not only in the Brit Chadashah. Okay. Uh, in uh, Exodus uh, uh, chapter 34, you know the passage. As a result of the uh, as a result of the golden calf, I, uh, without telling the whole story, God forgives the people. Okay, I, and then uh, Moses says, "Show me your glory." And then God goes and tells him to stand in the cup of the rock, and God passes by. And then God says, very important here. Uh, it says in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 34, in verse uh, 5, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Very interestingly, now I know that we're familiar with this, and this is the base of you know, God's loving kindness. In fact, I, just before Rosh Hashanah, I, there is a special service called Slichot, Right? If you grew up in the Jewish world, it was probably referred to as slichos, or but in modern slichot. Okay, uh, and it is a series of confessions, like tons of confessions. And so you say a confession, and then at the end of the confession, you say this passage in Exodus 34. Another confession, it's Exodus 34. Another, and so uh, we're called to say this. Now it's not an incantation uh, by any means, or just magically saying the words in a Bible verse. So it's very interesting. In the tractate Rosh Hashanah in the Talmud, there's yet another story uh, about this. And it is that God appeared to Moses. Again, you know, it's, it's like a midrash. It's a story, right? God appeared to Moses in a talit. And he wraps Moses around the talit. He appears, God appears to him, as it were, as a cantor. And then God prays this passage. He prays it over Moses, and he prays it over Israel. He's not just like telling Moses who he is. He's praying it. And in the Talmud, it says, the reason God does this is so that Moses can learn how to pray, how to pray for the people. And then he will convey to all of Israel how to pray. We don't have time to make certain interesting connections between this and the Lord's Prayer. That's another story for another galaxy far, far away. But isn't it interesting that in the Talmud it says, this is how you should pray. And so we pray this. This is how David approaches God in Psalm 51. God, you know, Lord, the Lord God. And the way the Lord, the Lord God is understood is mercy, mercy. Mercy before I sin and mercy after I sin. I wish we would turn those phones off. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, mercy before I sin and mercy after I sin. The Lord, the Lord God. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And so it's considered in Judaism a prayer, not a declaration, but a prayer, you know? Uh, and how important it is that we realize that Yeshua, if we we're going to say what is the, the real, the total answer, the ultimate answer to that prayer, the ultimate answer to that prayer is the Messiah, right? In John uh, uh, chapter uh, 1, in verse 17, the Torah was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Messiah Yeshua. The ultimate answer, Yeshua is the grace and the truth. Yeshua is the living Torah. Uh, Yeshua is our intercessor. Uh, like we said last night, in a sense, Yeshua is like the shofar who opens up the gates of heaven for us. Uh, and uh, Yeshua also is the one who convicts via the Holy Spirit and brings us to the place of repentance. 
And so, therefore, let us be encouraged that our Messiah indeed loves us and he calls us and he says uh, these words at the end of Matthew 28, uh, the end of Matthew 11 in verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. You know, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, I won't take the time, I know it's late, but in Jeremiah chapter 6, read verses uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17, when you get to it, and you'll find, you shall find rest for your souls. He's actually quoting this little section of Jeremiah chapter 6. And what Jeremiah chapter 6 is saying there is, I continually am telling you, oh, for my goodness, I'm just reading because I won't, I will butcher it. And so I will just quickly read, because by the time I butcher it, I will actually be able to read it faster. Okay. And so what does he say? He says uh, in verse um, 16, Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. You shall find rest for your souls. See, Yeshua says, I am the good way, right? But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the shofar. Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, O nation, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, and behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my Yeshua says, come to me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Come to me, and there is rest. Come to me, and there is change. Come to me, and there is cleansing. Come to me, and there is grace. May we keep our eyes fixed on Yeshua the author and finisher of our faith. And may we get rid of the weights and the sins that so easily entangle us. So yes, so that we can truly live, really live and experience uh, the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our heart, in our house, in our congregation, and in our community. Lord uh, God, uh, I pray, Lord, that we would run to you with a broken heart and know, yes, that in Messiah Yeshua, the fulfillment of that prayer, that yes, your chesed overwhelms us. But God, I pray that if we are wondering, how come I never seem to experience that overwhelming chesed? Perhaps it's because we're not coming with a broken heart and maybe because we're not practicing the chesed. And so God, I pray for us Yeshua stands at the door and knocks. I pray, Lord, that we would all 